Here we are at uh, the Science Fiction Club on Science Fiction Club, I should say, on November. Um, brother, October ninth. Yep, chocolate. Eating too much of my candy. Um, October ninth, two thousand fourteen. Talking about The Martian by Andy Weir, and we'll go around and uh, see what people thought about it. And we'll start with whomever hits the key next. Okay. Well. I guess I'll do it. Normally, I can't get the key when everyone else does. For some reason, I don't know why that is. But anyway, uh, as I mentioned before, I found the book to be a little slow. and mono- uh, a, lot, a lot of the everyday uh, diary notations to me seemed a little trivial. Well, not trivial, but I guess for him they were important. But it, I found the action to be a little slow. Uh, I, it picked up towards the end when it, when you were wondering whether he wouldn't be able to make it to the base or not, and and would they, whether they would be able to get off the uh, off he would be able to get off Mars or not. But uh, I found it a little a little monotonous to tell you the truth. Well, I uh, I didn't finish it. I was uh, I read the first two hours. I thought that I had you know I think two hours is enough for any book to get me if it's going to get me and. Uh, I was reading all these log entries and all this calculation, and, well, if I do this and that, and if I do the other thing, and, well, but then, uh, hold on, let's see, something else happened, and and I read two hours, and I I looked at the time and said, you mean there are ten more hours of this? (laughs) Eleven, almost? I don't know, I don't think I'm going to do it, so I didn't do, I got two hours, and that was all. Well, Lissy uh, enjoyed it quite a lot, Tweety, if you want to tell them now. Um, I liked it a lot, and I was, I'm was i surprised by that, but at first I was trying to follow the the math and the science, and I, and I was really kind of thrilled because I understood a lot of it. As it went on, he did get beyond me, and I certainly didn't check his math. I just read it and thought, good, I'm glad that works. Um I think one of the reasons it sounded slow was because, you know, it was just one character and the environment. But I love survival stories, especially when the person survives. And um, I did think that the PR person in NASA, I really got tired of her saying bad words. I didn't think it was cute. I think sometimes the author was trying to make friends with us and say, this is complicated science, but I'm just a regular uh, person like you, and I'm friendly. And, you know, he was trying to not sound um, condescending. At the same time, he was challenging us to understand all the science involved. So I was shocked that Evan wanted to quit and that I didn't. And I really did love the ending. It was very exciting, and I thought it was just marvelous that the crew who abandoned him, though they didn't mean to, um, were able to be the ones who rescued him. It it was very heartwarming. I I was happy with it. Well, I liked it. Um, I was the one who brought it up a few months ago before, um, was it Bob last time who recommended it? But I I read the book this week for about the third or fourth time, and it was still exciting to me. So um, I I give it a five on a scale of five. Um, I just thought it was great. Some of the language drove me nuts, but that's kind of typical of me. So, but the the story was really to me I was I couldn't stop once I got started. <laughs> so and I love the ending. It it was amazing that he got up to to the ship in this sort of hacked together and torn apart piece of equipment. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the book, too, quite a bit. Um, I thought it was interesting in that I have probably read science fiction since, well, I have read a lot of science fiction that's really old. And I thought it was kind of almost, in a way, nostalgic in that it was sort of almost in the um, vein of some of the really old space opera stuff without being stupid like some of that used to be. You know, they were just probably more because when I read it, I was looking at it from a whole different technological era from when it was written. 
But uh, so it was kind of refreshing that the te- technology in this seemed, from my limited point of view, to be very accurate and also that it was just so downright geeky. Now, that's not what I really read science fiction for in general, and I wouldn't want a steady diet of this book, but it was a really enjoyable read. Okay. Um, I, I got distracted. Well, see, it, it is nostalgic in a way, um, because it reads like a thousand, probably thousands of analog stories that are like this puzzle Aww. kind of story. So it is old in that sense, and that's the kind of the reason why I didn't like it that much. Because I've read so much of that kind of stuff in analog, and I just got, you know, I just got tired of that puzzly type stuff where you just got to figure this out and then figure that out, and then, you know, there's no sense of wonder in it or anything. And I just that's what I read. I like about sci- I like about science fiction, and I didn't get any of that. I just got you know, you know, puzzle basically. Um, but Lissy liked it. What were you going to say, sweetie? I you think got distracted. it was wonderful for the simplicity. I think it shows that it doesn't have to be full of, you know, violence and mayhem. Another thing is that some of the science fiction almost sounds like magic. It's so inconceivable. But I liked it because I was able to follow a lot of the steps and the rationale behind all of the adaptations. I love the um, the problem solving. For example, when he outsmarted the storm, not outsmarted, but when he was able to avoid being caught in the storm, I thought that was just fascinating the way he figured it out with, you know, with such limited tools. And another thing was what Mary said about his spaceship when he um, rendezvoused with his teammates and all that was between him, well, there was actually nothing but his spacesuit because he, he had, the front of his spaceship was just canvas. And when it ripped, he was just strapped in and there was nothing between him and, and forever. Well, I will admit, there was that scene when he uh, noticed that the, uh, the hydrogen was accumulating in the hab uh, and he hadn't realized it and he was burning that hydrazine. That was a little suspenseful, I'll admit, but it just wasn't enough to keep me wanting to read for another 11 hours or whatever. So, But um, I know it was a big popular book, and that, in a way that's really good for science fiction because it wasn't, you know, watered-down science fiction. It wasn't, um, you know, just kind of dressed up as, you know, romance with science fictional furniture or something, you know, something like that. It was real SF, you know, and I'll give it that. Uh, it wasn't my con- cup of tea, really, but I, it really does a good thing for SF to be such a popular book, to be something really straight, you know, hard SF like that, and that's a good thing. One of the things that was really appealing was that this, um, the astronaut was rescued by his ability, you know, his sense of humor, that um, the psychologist said that that was one of the characteristics that when you know that all of them showed pressure but when he was under pressure his uh, this, his sense of humor tended to bail him out you know and he was good for morale for the the crew and you know that's a lesson for all of us anybody who is happy and looks at things kind of in a in a happy way it lifts it it lifts everybody up makes everybody feel better well, there were a couple other things I liked about it. One was that the story just kind of hit the ground running. There wasn't a lot of detail to slog through to get to the point. Um, I liked that very much. And the other thing, I think the scariest part of the thing for me was when the when the lock airlock burst on the habitat, and here he was thrown clear across, you know, hundreds of feet across the Mars landscape and he had to figure out how to get back and his suit was torn and and it was just it was just I really wasn't sure if he was going to make it through and then I checked and I realized oh this is only halfway through the book <laughs> so I thought that was going to be the ending right there but it, it actually he actually managed to muddle through all that stuff hello I'm here hope you guys could hear me um I liked the book, and I didn't. I'm not a numbers person, and boy, was that book full of numbers. I could have slept through that part, um, but then that would have been the whole book. I think uh, 
the most suspenseful part to me was where I think、uh, Lucy said it, where he was. They were he was、uh, taking off, and he was going into unconsciousness, and he's thinking, "Ooh, something's flapping. That's not good." And you think, "Oh my!" And that the spaceship was basically fighting.、Um, What's his name? And it was fighting him because it was basically didn't wasn't、uh, the canvas wasn't tight. So yeah, that was. Let's hear from David. We haven't heard from him yet. I wrote some notes as everyone was talking because I agreed some with what different people said. The first thing I will say is I agree with the fact that it's very hard. Cutting-edge techno SF. I like that because I have seen some stuff where it's all this computronium rearranging itself with nanomolecules, and it was set like 300 years in the future, and it's just too weird. This book, to me, could be summed up by describing it as Robinson Crusoe goes to Mars. I liked it. Give it a 4.25 stars out of five. I would also say that.、Um, I would reduce the length by about 20%. It got a little bit draggy, though not bad. I thought the characters were interesting. His humor made the book move at times. Though there's no way I could be in outer space for 500 days, I would lose my mind. And、um, I think that sums me up. Now, there was. I have a a question. I don't remember exactly where, but、uh, during the the course of the book, there was a. I don't know if it was a chapter, but it was a part when they, when they, when the ship or his crew members were on, were running into severe problems, technical problems, and they weren't sure if they would have enough fuel to even get to, back to Earth, if I remember correctly. And that that sort of got glossed over afterwards when they went back to to save him. I don't know if anyone remembers that incident instance or not. What was that that you were saying? Um. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there was something. There was one chapter where they were where they, where they were talking aboard the ship, and they were you know they were on their way back home with、uh, with his ex crewmates, if you want to say that. And something happened. I forget what it was. It was I don't remember. It was a fuel leak or something that made me think that they were they they, they were running that they didn't almost didn't have enough fuel to get back home or something along those lines. And then that was you know. Farther back in the book,、uh, even before they considered going back to save him, if I remember correctly. I think I know what you're talking about, and they really didn't go into detail about that. It was when they were having all kinds of、uh, technical issues and stuff like that, and、um, they're like, "Oh, we'll figure it out" or something like that. I don't think they went into detail about that. I think. I think there was a way for them to create fuel similar to what he was doing on the planet.、Um, that might have been how they managed to get around that. Although I thought I saw something about how they had、uh, this one kid on Earth who had figured out how to get them back to Mars to save him. He had the math figured out so that they would eventually have. Enough fuel to, you know, by doing certain maneuvers in space, to make it a faster path to Mars. I think that's kind of how that all worked out. It was all kind of obscure, though. I think you're right, Mary. I think there was something that they did. I don't remember exactly either, but when you said that, it sort of made me remember something about that. But、um, as far as the the way that they ended up using Um, the energy of the planets as a way to、um, to actually really do more in the way of moving them than their own fuel、um, is probably part of the reason that they could do what they did because that's、um, that's sort of a classic、um, ballistics problem. I don't know if ballistics is the right、uh, term, but yeah, you know, it's a classic. Shooting something off and then playing with it with gravity, kind of problem. Are you talking about that Rich Parnell deal that they almost didn't want to take, and then that um, um, Mitch actually wrote to uh, um. Barry, you or、uh, Leela, you cut off in the middle there. I hope you didn't get lightninged out.、Um, you're dropping out quite a bit. I wonder if your bandwidth might be a little. 
hobbled because of the weather over there. Um, yeah, the slingshot effect. You heard a lot about that with the Voyager missions going around Jupiter and Saturn. and You know, they, they, they come in and then use part of the planet's momentum to give them an extra kick out further out into the solar system. They get a little extra speed going. Um, well, I thought Sherry was here. I could have sworn I saw her name, but now I don't see it anywhere. Yes, she was here. I don't know. Did she speak any at all? I don't think she did, though. Nope. She may have been kicked off for some reason, or she may have had to go early. I don't know. But, uh, um, and Leela, where are you? Let me try and fix something up. Um, one of the things I liked about the book, while we wait for Leela to stabilize her sound system or whatever, <laughs> is um, that they used the inhospitable characteristics of the planet not just they, but um, the astronaut, to to their advantage, like the atmosphere, um, the composition of the atmosphere, the way they used the elements and re recombined, you know, used chemistry to turn them into something useful. I also love the description of the garden, um, growing potatoes, being Irish. <laughs> I pay attention to potatoes anyway. Um and another thing was they mentioned that there's a characteristic of astronauts that's almost mythical, that they're like intrepid, wonderful people with, you know, training in many areas and, and high, I don't know, that they're, it was, it was just wonderful the way they portrayed astronauts. And they mentioned that they're kind of a, a special breed. Oh, I love the potatoes too. I I live as a vegetarian. I can I can live on potatoes, <laughs> not really, but they're a major part of my diet. That's why I was so upset when that airlock burst and all the plants just scattered all over the place. But some of that was recovered. I remember him saying that some of the bacteria were um, still alive, <clears throat> and. Um, he, they can continue to grow, even though they were kind of semi-frozen, some of them. But, um, yeah, I I thought it was interesting about the how he was so incredibly resourceful. And I kept thinking how the author must have had a lot of very late nights trying to figure out how to get out of this situation and that situation. I think a lot of science fiction is puzzle-driven, and that's to me, is one of the attractions of it. So, um, anyway, that's, that's enough for me. This is Sherry. Sorry I'm late. I had a bad start. Just as we were getting started, the fire alarm in our um, townhouse units went off here. It seems somebody was cooking, and there were some smoke issues. So I'm just now getting back in here. So, unfortunately, I missed what everybody said. I'll have to listen to the download. I did not like the book much, but it's totally a reflection on me, not the book. Um, in fact, I'm going to recommend it to a friend of mine who's a real science person who I think will love it. I must. The things I like about sci-fi are the sociological and personality-type interplay stuff, not the science stuff. I don't really care sometimes if they don't really explain why something works the way it does or doesn't. So there was just way too much science stuff for me in this book. Um, but I think it was, it was a, you know, that's no reflection on the book. It's totally a reflection on me. The parts I found the most interesting were what was going on on Earth and how they were going to deal with this and stuff like that. Can you guys hear me now? Is that better? Yeah, and you're not dropping out. You really sound better. Your, your voice is more steady now. You, you, you've done it. You're coming in. You're coming in much better. You're sounding really bodacious, as we used to say in the CB world back in the 70s when I had a CB radio. <laughs> Did you want to say something, sweetie? I wonder, you know, I wonder if in the, re in, in the real Martian atmosphere of canvas coverings would really withstand the pressures and the, and the severe cold of the Martian climate. Uh, it's some, some of the, the things they use, you know, in the book seem to be very fragile. You, you wonder how they were able to sustain an atmosphere and withstand the, 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 the severe conditions. Well, and, you know, 
Sherry, I agree with you, by the way. I did not like the whole numbers issue. I'm not, I, I, uh, it, it got too bogged down with technical, technical details. I mean, I thought, I mean, the Golden Age trilogy was technical, but it was technical in a different way. And I think if I had my choice, I would rather read that than this. Uh, I know some people would disagree. Um, they had to do a lot of study, this author did, um, you know, to it would be really interesting to um, know, you know, what part was made up, and what part, because I've always been interested in the planets and stuff like that, and and it'd be, I mean, nobody, you know, we can't go to Mars yet, but it would be interesting if somebody took something from this book, you know, and said, hey, let's try this or let's try that. Uh, I don't know if this is my place, but I'm just going to say good evening, everybody. And um, my first time here, I haven't read the book, so I don't think I can say anything about it. However, I would like to uh, put out something. Um, And I'm wondering if any of you have ever thought about how would you go about building a world? I think that was Kim that was speaking. Welcome. You know, that would be so fun. If you want to build a world, go to the Golden Age Trilogy. They had some, you wow, they had some great dream worlds. I liked that book. I was thinking of that because of the, not only that, but I love, I like, um, I not only read SFLs, read fantasy and if you're a person who wants to make a game, say, or a novel or, uh, of some sort, um, I I don't know. I don't know. I just am so intrigued about the ability of authors to make up a world with the cultures, with the society and all that. And because I'm such a rotten plotter, uh, I'm better at character and dialogue, I would like to just learn how to go about doing it. Um, this is a little off that subject, but it, it takes us back to our book. Um, and that is, one of you mentioned um, the people on Earth and how much fun it was to see what they were doing to try to get him back. And some of that was very, um, ironic isn't the right word, but it was pretty funny because when they, you know, when there was this media frenzy, when they discovered that he was alive and, and they didn't want to tell the public because they didn't want to admit that, that NASA had made a mistake or they didn't want to put negative light. It was bad publicity. And then they, they, when people did realize he was alive, they started having a CNN had a half hour program every day detailing his activities and progress in trying to rescue him and that was pre- that was very funny that all actually that all rings really true mm-hmm. cnn would have a half hour per i mean this is the 20 this is the age of the 24 hour news cycle they've got loads of time to fill and the second question somebody asked um if you leela or um deb um he it said at the beginning that he was a space nerd so i suspect that most of it, if not all of it, uh, pro- probably not all of it, but a very high most was probably accurate because um, he probably worked a lot of that out. He may have had, you know, he probably consulted with people. Um, he, he surely consulted with people. He wouldn't know everything of that. But I will bet that most of that was worked out quite, you know, authentically. Very little of it was was made up, if any, because he, you know, he obviously had studied. You know, a lot. And I have a book about Mars that's, you know, kind of a synopsis about Mars. And I'll post a few of the the details that fit in with the book that we read. Um, another thing was, wasn't it funny when they, in, in that show in CNN, they interviewed this man from the post office about how they issued a memorial stamp. And then when they discovered he was 
alive, they had the, they recalled it, and then they were joking about that it was only in circulation for a short time, and they advised the people, hang on to your stamps, oh, it would they're going to be valuable. It would be immensely valuable, <laughs> and, and those who held on to them would be very, uh, would have very high-priced stamps. I have a course from the teaching company that deals with the planets in detail, and I suspect that nearly all of the stuff that was said in the book is true, um, judging from the course that I've taken and various things that I've read about the planets over the years. So, uh, And consider also that he was a computer programmer starting from the age of 15. That kind of boggled me because I didn't think anybody could hire a 15-year-old kid. Um, <laughs> but if you're going to be in the computer industry, that encourages you to be logical and factual. So I think that was a really good point, a uh, number of points in his favor with this book. But I think that's part of the reason I liked it. It, it all seemed to be worked out very well. Yeah, I agree. I think that was really impressive. He must have done an incredible amount of homework and talked to a lot of people, plus just puzzling out how things would work out and planning the plot, what would go wrong, and then how would the guy handle it scientifically and from a survival perspective. And I agree, even the CNN part really rang true, and it was a nice comic relief. I think the only Mars books I ever read that... um was Kim um, Stanley Robbins's Mars trilogy, and I like what he did just because you got to care about the characters. You know, I have to tell you guys the truth. When they found out he was alive, I really thought that the NASA and the government were just going to leave him there. I really did, and just say. You know, to the public, oh, he died. and But, of course, how would the book have been the book if they had done that? But I could see them. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, realistically, I could see that happening. But it didn't, and I'm very glad it didn't. Um, oh, there was, oh, I'm very interested when we're done with the meeting or whatever. Lissy and Mary, for your information about your teaching course, Mary, and your uh, book about Mars, Lissy. I'm just interested. Let me jump in for a moment. I, too, am glad that the government didn't just leave him there to die. That would have reminded me of the short story, The Cold Equations, which is one of my least favorite SF short stories, though I will grant you it was a very good story. It was just very hard, where the girl who stows away on a tiny ship bringing vaccines to a planet has to be jettisoned into space because the ship has not enough fuel for her. The company that was sending this stuff out to the planet where her brother was, by the way, um, didn't put enough fuel for a pound extra. I wanted to conclude by saying I too liked the teaching company, but it was more for their history and um, humanities courses. I didn't think of science. You know, there's, it's very interesting. One of the, I guess, one of the um, things that one could praise him for is he presented Mars as it probably, or as it really is. There was some of the other books have to find that there were Martians at one time or another. If they look at another book called Mars Life, where they found these um, archaeological remains of Martian civilizations or or uh, the Martian Chronicles. So here, at least, he was, pre- he, he was presenting Mars as Mars actually exists today. And speaking of that, if anyone has a Windows 8.1 computer... Uh, there's an application that can be that's accessible where you can actually see what the rover is doing on Mars on a daily basis. I guess it has the photographs and things like that, what's actually going on on the planet. I wanted to jump in again and say that I concur with the um, just what was just said in that it was nice that he did not have to make Martian life appear there as Robert A. Heinlein has done in one of his books which was called Red Planet and Ben Bova's famous Grand Tour series of all the planets be they Mercury or Venus if I'm not mistaken just about all of those books have life in some sort of bizarre form on every planet Jupiter also David mentioning what you meant what you said about the cold equations there have been a number of stories that have been written and described alternatives to throwing the entire person out in space. Uh, One theme that I've seen is that people needed to 
quit eating so much. And another theme was, you know, um, how to reduce the amount of stuff that was in the ship. But anyway, that's going off onto a different tangent. But there have been different spin-offs from that story. Um, I don't remember if this was a joke or something, because I know Analog publishes these joke stories sometimes, but one of them was about cutting off a leg or something to lose weight. Everybody could give body parts. And speaking of Martians, I am not, I always thought Heinlein was highly overrated, but I liked the old ones from The um, Stranger in a Strange Land. I wish I had read, I wish he had put more about them in, in um, in his book, because I thought they were just really a neat you know, imaginative piece of work. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think that that book could have been more about the old ones and the fact that they were such long-lived individuals. And I remember kind of a ironic little twist where here they were cherishing the people from this planet and let's just cherish them right out of existence. And so there came the asteroids and stuff. <laughs> Go figure. That, I have to give Heinlein that one. That one, that the old ones were just brilliant. I love that book. All oh, the old ones. I remember that, and I think I actually read that a couple of times too. Yep, I read it uh, several times back in the old Burt Blackwell edition. Before, um, who knows? Uh, I don't think that's ever going to get up on Bard. Um, that was on like thirteen cas- of those old cassettes. But he did such a fabulous job. You know, with that, of course, he was just a fabulous reader, I thought. But, um, yeah, I read that book several times. I haven't read it in many years, but it still sticks with me. Evan, are you thinking of Kelvin Throop? Well, I was thinking of Probability Zero. The analog cog says Probability Zero, so it may have been a joke. Uh, It might have been Kelvin Throop, but it might have been Probability Zero. I don't remember for sure, because... The probability zeros aren't meant to be taken, like, that's why they're called probability zero, but um, but I don't know. Somebody might have actually published a story with that alternative in analog at one point. I just don't remember. Probably a bit of Googling would turn it up, but I just don't recall right now, but I could have sworn I saw that. Okay, well, the, the, I, I do get analog, and yes, I think they still do have probability zero, and maybe they're still getting stuff from Kelman through the third... Uh, Stanley Schmidt's no longer editor of Analog, but a guy called uh, Trevor Quattrell or something like that. And I think I stopped reading it. There was this four-part serial by Edward Lerner, and I don't know why. I just, uh, I just sort of balked reading it for some reason. I think you're right. It was in probability. It was definitely in probability zero. But I have seen stories. Um, as, with spin-offs. It, it wasn't Kelvin Throop, though. It was somebody else, because I remember it was on Talking Book somewhere, where, you know, you didn't have to um, throw somebody out. What you could do was people could eat much less and lose weight, or, of course, it, if the problem was um, for some other reason, um, then you'd have another solution to it. But mostly it was... I do remember Probability Zero, there was that one, it was way back, and probably in the 1980s, where people had to sacrifice body parts, uh, you know. But um, anyway, interesting theme. Um, David mentioned Ben Bova, and the, the, I think it was David, and the series about all the planets and how they're all occupied by uh, strange aliens. And I would read that more for fun. I, I, you know, even knowing that that's not, those aliens don't live there. But speaking of Ben Bova, I just finished proofreading for Bookshare um, To Save the Sun by Ben Bova and some other guy. And I really, really enjoyed it. It's a Star Trek kind of universe with a um, an emperor over, who over a hundred planets and it's a hereditary position, but you don't resent these emperors because they have a conscience and they're doing their best. They're not cruel, and <clears throat> they're well-informed, and um, people can extend their lives, but emperors aren't allowed to because they 
um, wouldn't stay fresh and, you know, they would um, kind of vegetate and not move the society forward. So once a person becomes an emperor, they have to stop having rejuvenation. But um, I have to get the dust jacket from the library, so it's not going to be up for a week or so until I... We can Evan can scan the dust jacket for me, but you keep an eye out if you think you would enjoy it. It it does have good characterization. Um, it spans quite a few years, but it, I, I, it's not very science oriented. There's really no science till near the end of the book. But I very much enjoyed it, and I would like to read more Bin Bova. I wasn't laughing at you, sweetie. I was laughing. I Pippin sounded like he was just bored. Just, did you hear him? Yeah, I did. <laughs> anyway. Well, you know what I thought interesting? Bova has an... Or you, have you guys read Bova's Orion series? I read some of Bova, but I don't know if I read the Orion series or not. I, I Sometimes I get bored with him because I want more science in my books. Um... <laughs> And sometimes those books kind of lack that. Um, even even the Magipur books and some of the other ones that I love have a bit more science, uh, or at least something that makes them either very, very believable or very exotic. So I'm, I'm kind of a combination of, of extremely imaginative and extremely scientific. Um, go figure. <laughs> I've read one or two of the Orion books, and they seem more like fantasy. They seem like these cruel gods play games with Orion and everybody else, and it's just sort of cold-blooded. Those were my least favorite of all Bova stuff. I do I do like his planet stuff, even with the strange life forms, because he'll put like notes about the planets. He'll say there'll be like a database section in the book that talks about Mercury's rotation. It's a funny mix of hard SF and speculative uh, SF. Okay, now another question. Have any of you guys read the um, Live River World series by Philip Jose Farmer? I managed to finish the first book, and I got sort of into the second book, but I, you know, stopped reading it for a while. I think I'm going to get to the rest of it. I read them. I like the first couple of books best because once you get down to books three, four, and five, it's get, it gets much more philosophical and esoteric, and I was bored with those last three books. But the first couple were actually kind of fun because it was sort of like a Mark Twain of the future sort of deal. And you have clues of how and why the aliens took these people from all different parts of time and and threw them into this planet uh, with this huge river going down part of it. Um, But once you get into the last three books, I think the whole thing just totally falls apart. Now, I've not read that, but I'm wondering if Philip Jose Farmer wrote this series where these people would only live one day a week and they were put, like, turned to stone for the other six days of the week, or that may have been, may have been... I uh, read the Riverworld books. I actually read them out of order because uh, the Fabulous Riverboat, which was the second one, actually does have Mark Twain in it. And he, that was in Braille, but they didn't Braille the first one. So they finally came out on cassette. And James D. Lotel actually read them all, I think. And he actually sings in one of them. He sings Glowworm. Uh, in one of the books. So that was kind of fun just to listen to him singing. Um, but I don't know. I kind of thought... I, I, I Sometimes revealing the mystery is not as fun as having the mystery. I felt that way about the Rama books. I kind of thought he should have left Rama alone after the first book. I know I'm in the minority, but... Um, and if we finally meet the Ramans again, and I don't know. I, sometimes unexplained vistas, as Tolkien put it, are are cool. Sometimes you don't always want every mystery to be resolved, and you want to play some place for the imagination to roam. And when he got every, you know, at the end of the River World, I was just, and then that woman went crazy, that Chinese woman, I forget what her name, Star Spoon or something, and <laughs> she got mad, and I don't know what the heck happened there. It was all weird, and I don't know. Now, I like weird stuff sometimes, as most people know, but that was, I don't know, that wasn't weird in a good way. It was just nutty. Anyway. On that note, should we talk about our next book, since we're talking about other books? 
Well, the only thing I've got on my stream right now is uh, Legin's Left Hand of Darkness, which I haven't even touched yet. Uh, haven't even started. I think I s tried to start it a couple times and got distracted with something else. And unfortunately, the books that I mentioned in the club news, um, not the newsletter, but the, the email list, uh, The Bowl of Heaven and Ship Star by Day of... Um, by Niven, Larry Niven, and, and Benford, I believe is the other author. Those are only on Audible. They're not on Bookshare, and they're not on Bards, so you'd have to have an Audible account to read those, at least thus far. Um, but those are the only ones I've gotten the last few weeks. The Left Hand of Darkness is probably one of the best books I ever read. Um, but then I'm probably, Ursula Le Guin is probably my very favorite author. And also, guys, remember, I believe, Evan, am I correct? We will be meeting, like, November 20th or something like that. I know it's a different date because of the, um, whatchamacallit thingy, the um, Fall Classic. I was going to say Fall Festival. Fall Classic? No, uh, it, it's November 6th. We're going to meet the week earlier. That'll give us four weeks. We'll still have four weeks to read our book. And um, I'm sorry, I read several of Le Guin's books. I just, um, I, I can't get into Le Guin. She always seems to have an agenda of some kind of political message. And it just, I don't know, it's a little too strong. And, and, and it's just me. I liked, you know, I'll tell you, one of my favorite fantasies, and I, I'm not going to mention this again, cause I, but, but I loved A Wizard of Earthsea. Because the message wasn't very strong, it was a good story, and then of course she got more messagey as the series went on. But um, I don't know. I read some other stuff of hers, and it always seemed to be something. I mean, the story seemed to take second place to the message for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But spiritually, she's kind of taoist, and that's not a very appealing um, belief system for me. So even the Earthsea trilogy bothered me because of the elements that were. You know, from the Taoist. Yeah, see, I used to sign my, 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 a friend of mine used to exchange Braille letters, and I used to sign them Ged, Sparrowhawk, Wizard of Earthsea. I used to sign my names that way for a while, because I was just really liked that first book. But then, of course, as I said, it kind of went down. But uh, anyway, I know she's very popular, and we haven't read anything by her yet, so, I mean, she's definitely on the table. Well, I did read Left Hand, well, actually... My mother read Left Hand of Darkness to me, and then I read it later, and I really liked the book. Um, another author, another female author I've liked is Sherry Tepper, if any of you are familiar with her. Yeah, I've read at least one of her books, and one of them is on Bard. It's called The Companions, and they haven't gotten any of her other stuff up there. Um, my only objection to the companions is the narrator and the way that the narrator reads it, because I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, Allison, uh, what's her name. Um, but I like I liked the companions very much. I read Grass, and I thought that was pretty good. And I read some of her other work, but I just don't remember it very well. Um, which tells me that I didn't that something in it just didn't grab me, but I remember Grass pretty well, and that was a that was an interesting book. You know, you guys, I forgot, and I'm supposing you guys did too. But I thought we had a whole bunch of books on the table last month, and now none of us can remember them. Martin, can you remember them? Well, there was there was a book that we mentioned a while back called New Earth. Uh, I don't know if we were had, had planned on possibly reading it or not. That was the second in a series, I think. Didn't we read the first sec uh, one in the series? And I read New Earth already. It was it was okay, um, but I don't know that I'd want to read it over again. I I have our favorite book lists in front of me in Braille, and I'm kind of looking at my stuff. Um, I would love to reread West of Eden, or at least one of the Harry Harrison. Uh, books of about that old that universe. It's three in a series, but West of Eden is the first one. I think it's about twelve hours long, 
I'd love to read that again. I haven't read it in a long time. Those were a trip with those dinosaur things and the way, was it Barry Bernson who would do those sounds in the book? Those were so trippy. Yeah, they were. And I, I heard an interview with Barry Bernson. He said that was one of the hardest things to do because the language is so incredibly different from anything. It's gestures and it's sound and the two together. But that's a definite possibility because it's not real long. But at the same time, it it talks about what would happen if humans... Um, evolved during the time that this very old dinosaur culture um, started happening. It's west of Eden is the first one, winter in Eden is the second one, and return to Eden is the third one. But it, we wouldn't have to read all three of them, of course, but I'm bringing it up as a suggestion. What was the one that we, that we read, uh, I forget the name, where they where we had the humans fighting against the evolved dinosaurs who were the masters of the planet or something like that. I guess nobody remembers. I can't think either. Yeah, I remember I remember they um they were advanced reptiles and they used animals for biological weapons and then there were the humans and one of the humans had grown up with them and then they escaped back to his own people again and stuff like that. I can't remember the name of it or who wrote it though. That's it. That's Harry Harrison's West of Eden, Return to Eden and I think Winter of Eden. That sounds like him. They used these long worm things as like spears. They had another animal that they used as a telescope, a microscope and they traveled in these giant dinosaur things inside of them. That was strange. Yeah, that uh, we haven't read any of those for the club. Maybe uh, maybe you read them on your own. Uh, previously, but I don't think we've read any of that for the club, and that's why I'm bringing it up. It was on my favorites list, and I know that Evan has read that that series. Um, but I think it's a good idea. Uh, we might want to read that next month. Of course, if if a few of us have already read it, then I don't know if it would be worth having the rest of the club read it. But we've kind of done that kind of thing before. But man, I'd love to reread those books again. Well, some people, somebody who who was it mentioned uh, twenty three twelve by Kim Stanley Robinson last month or the month before? I forget. Um, I don't know if people want to consider that again. That's something nobody has has read. Um, so it's certainly a possibility. It's gotten mixed reviews. I I read his Mars trilogy too, and I wasn't as impressed with it as. A lot of other people were, but then I like further out stuff generally. But but this sounds like it might be pretty interesting. I'm willing to take it on if people uh, want to give it a shot. What's it about? Well, I can play the annotation here for you if you want to hear it. Yeah, I think it was Bob last month who mentioned 2312. And uh, that's a possibility. I mean, none of us have read it. Why not? Play on. Library of Congress annotation. Mercury, 2312. After Swan Erhong's beloved grandmother, Alex, dies, Swan wants time to grieve. Instead, she is thrust into an interplanetary investigation about what Alex's research of Earth may have uncovered, and if her death was really of natural causes. Some strong language and some explicit descriptions of sex. Uh-oh. 2012. From the book jacket. 2312 is a bold and brilliant vision of mankind's future, and a compelling portrait of those individuals who will shape its events. It is a major new SF novel from one of the most important and gifted writers in the field. The year is 2312. Scientific and technological advances have opened gateways to an extraordinary future. Earth is no longer humanity's only home. New habitats have been created throughout the solar system, on moons, planets, and in between. But in this year, 2312, a sequence of events will force humanity to confront its past, its present, and its future. The first event takes place on Mercury, on the city of Terminator, itself a miracle of engineering on an unprecedented scale. It is an unexpected death, but one that might have been foreseen. For Swan Erhong, it is an event that will change her life. Swan was once a woman who designed worlds. Now she will be led into a plot to destroy them. About the author... Well, that wasn't very enlightening, actually, but that's all I got. <laughs> I say we read it. That got my attention. Yeah, actually, I thought that sounded interesting, too. Hmm. Sorry, I didn't catch it. What is the name of the book? 
2312, I believe it's Kim Stanley Robinson is the author. He always writes interesting books. I've got his, um, for lack of a better word, um, Pacific uh, Orange Coast Trilogy and his uh, Weather Trilogy on the flash drives. Well, as I said, I wasn't overly impressed with the Mars Trilogy, but this one sounds like it might be better. So I want to give it a shot if uh, people want to read it. He's... I think he's fairly character-oriented, so that should please people. And he, it won't be too scientific, though I've read some reviews on, Asm- on Amazon that uh, some people seem to think he tried to pack in everything he knew about every, you know, comets and asteroids and, you know, kind of showing off how much research he had done. So, uh, uh, But that's, you know, reviews. I've seen reviews saying not this particular book, but other books I've read where... I read some reviews say there was no good characterization, and some other reviews were saying the characters were the best part. So you can't always be sure about what reviewers say. But I don't know. It sounds kind of like it might be interesting to read. So we'll put that up there and see what other ideas people have. Well, we can go for it. I mean, I figure if if I get bored with it or if it gets too too much of a a plot, like if they get too much into the grief that this woman feels or something... Um, you know, there's always other books out there to read, and we don't have to finish if we don't like something. Um, we don't have to finish the whole thing just because the club wants to read it. <laughs> so, so I vote for it. It's worth a shot. Why not? I vote for it cautiously. I've tried to read his book of rice and salt and didn't like the fact that his titles all had na- his chapters all had title names, which I hate. I just want to see chapter three, chapter four, not chapter four in which Yin Man discovers gold or something. I have this 2312 and Shaman, and I would definitely vote for 2312 with a touch of caution. There's also Christine Catherine Rush. She's an interesting writer. Yeah, we've read some of her stuff, and that got varied reactions also. I I think I've kind of had enough of her for a while. (laughs) She was a good author. But yeah, I agree with that. I actually still have one of her books on mine. I read that with uh, Audible, I think. That was a long time ago. I second, or third, or whatever, uh, the Golden... (sighs) Evan, you got me thinking of this silly Golden Age trilogy. Um... 2312. I really like Christine Catherine Rush, too, but yeah, we have read several of hers. So yeah, I'd I'd go for 2312. I'd be willing to give that a shot. Lucy Fifths. So I guess the consensus has been obtained or attained. I'm not sure which is appropriate there. Uh, we're going to read 2312 by Kim Stanley Robinson. Hold on, I'm going to check the time here. Um, hold on, let's see how long this thing is. Let's see. Well, we're looking at 20 hours, roughly, so it's a bit on the longer side, but we've done much longer before in four weeks. So, 2312 by Kim Stanley Robinson. I'm sure it's on Bookshare, but I'll check the exact details uh, when I do the Newswire tomorrow. Um, And it's certainly on Bard, as you heard. So, uh, okay, that's our book for next month, and our meeting is on November 6th. For this one and only time, it'll be the first Thursday of the month instead of the second. So I'm putting that on the recording so people who um, download it will hear it. Okay.